The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. We started a new series, and we started looking at the, the book of Philemon. If you remember from last week, the book of Philemon, um, it's the shortest book in the New Testament. Uh, it is written by Paul to a man named Philemon. So Paul is writing this letter as he is a prisoner. Uh, although the audience is a specific person, this letter was addressed to Philemon. It's also addressed to the whole church meeting at Philemon's home. So we covered last week just the first seven verses of this letter. Uh, we looked at Paul's introduction and Paul's description of and love for Philemon. Paul had some great things to say about Philemon. He discussed the love and the faith that Philemon had towards Christ as well as towards uh, others around him. And Paul, in that instance, found comfort and he found joy in the actions of Philemon and the love of Philemon. This morning, we're going to continue in the book of Philemon. Uh, we're going to look at verses 8 through 16. So feel free to grab your Bibles and turn towards the back of your Bibles. Philemon is a very tiny book, probably on one page, uh, right before the book of Hebrews. So if you hit the book of Hebrews, just go back a little bit and you'll find it. Uh, the verses here, 8 through 16, it contains the bulk of the content of this letter. Uh, this is most likely the part that many of you were hoping that we would reach and we would discuss. It's the um, the questionable part, the, the controversial part. I would love for you to read verses 8 through 16 with me, and would you stand with me as I read the word of God? Beginning in verse 8, it says this, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he, ha he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever." No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. You may have a seat. Martin Luther says this. He says that man is more easily drawn than pushed. Man is more easily drawn than pushed. Just think through your own life. How do you respond to commands? How do you respond to someone telling you what you will do and how you will do it. Question, does your answer change based upon who the command is given from? Parents in the room, how would you respond if your child commanded you to do something? After service today, they look at you and they say, Mom and Dad, you are going to take me to lunch. You are going to buy me pizza. You are going to let me get the full Coke. <laughs> then we're going to go home, and you are going to clean my room. 
and you are going to clean up the rest of the house. So parents in here, I, I know your blood is beginning to boil already just thinking about the hypothetical of that situation. There's an expectation that many people have with those under authority or under command. We expect them to behave in a certain way when we ask them to do certain things. Because we have authority over them, we generally have some sort of ability for punishment. If that request goes unmet, parents, am I right? We understand that authority and power, it can hold when it comes to parents and children, child relationships. We see this. If you've been around any type of military context, you probably understand authority really well. You should by now. I had the privilege and pleasure of growing right outside a military installation in South Central Missouri. I grew up in the house of two military brats. Uh, one grew up in the house of a sergeant major. The other one grew up in a house of a drill sergeant. I understood authority really well growing up. Authority is something that's not unfamiliar to us, and commands coming from authority are not unfamiliar either. We understand authority. We understand respect, and therefore we understand the commands that follow out of this. But a big question rises up as we discuss authority and we discuss commands. What does this look like in, in Christianity? What is authority like within the body of Christ? I've had the pleasure of getting to hear many of your stories. And for many of you being here in San Antonio, many of you have an upbringing that consisted of Roman Catholicism. In the Roman Catholic Church, authority is a rather clear, straight line. That line ends with Papa, with the Pope. Here's what the doctrine of Catholicism says regarding the Pope's authority. It says this, The Vatican Council has defined as a divinely revealed dogma that the Roman pontiff, when he speaks ex cathedra, that is, when in the exercise of his office as pastor and teacher, of all Christians he defines by virtue of his supreme apostolic authority, a doctrine of faith or morals to be held by the whole church, is by reason of the divine assistance promised to him in blessed Peter, possessed of that infability with which the divine redeemer wished his church to be endowed in defining doctrines of faith and morals, and consequently, that such definitions of the Roman pontiff are irreformable of their own nature and not by reason of the church's consent. So I'm sure you all have a clear understanding now of, of what Roman Catholicism believes regarding uh, the pope. So in a Roman Catholic faith, the, the pope has the ultimate authority. Uh, they say ex cathedra, whenever he is uh, officiating and sitting in his official position as pope. So much authority, in fact, that... He's able to change church doctrine with a single statement. They tie the authority of the Pope uh, back to the authority that Christ gave to Peter back in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, where Christ says, upon this rock, I will build my church. The word for rock and Peter, Petros, are very similar. The Roman Catholic Church sees this as a statement of Christ giving his authority to Peter, and Peter then handing his authority off in succession 
down through the papal line. Let me be clear. I, I disagree with this application of Scripture and the implications that it does bring regarding the Pope. However, at least their authority in this case is tied to uh, Scripture, although I would argue it is vastly misused. So what does the authority look like within the Protestant church then? What does authority look like specifically within the body that you're seated right now of Stone Oak Bible Church? Our authority comes only through the proper and careful exegesis of the word of God. We approach the scripture longing for it to speak to our wicked hearts, not trying to bring our own ideas, our own presuppositions, our own wants, our own desires to scripture to find an answer. With this idea in mind, let us look to this text this morning and allow God through his spirit to speak to us. Paul begins here, verse 8, with a statement of his own authority. He tells Philemon here that he could command Philemon what to do. Yet we see in verse 9 here that Paul chooses not to. Paul has some sort of a fatherly figure relationship with Philemon. Uh, if you look down at verse 19, there is some sort of owing, even, that Philemon has towards Paul. Most believe that Paul played a part in Philemon's salvation, uh, we mentioned it last week, but Philemon is most likely the pastor of the church at Colossae. We know based upon Paul's missionary journeys recorded in the book of Acts um, and his letter to the Colossian church that Paul never actually visited the city of Colossae. Uh, historical writings here suggest that Philemon actually uh, heard and was converted to Christianity by Paul in the city of Ephesus, where Paul spent a lot of time. And these two cities of, of Colossae and Ephesus are, are relatively close so Paul here is, is pointing back to Philemon, and there's, there's this fatherly relationship. There's some sort of connection that these two brothers have. Does your own salvation cause you to owe something to someone? Well, the answer to that is, is no. Your salvation does not cause you to owe anybody anything. Your salvation is dependent upon Christ and his death and resurrection alone. However... There's most likely a special kinship that is formed in your own salvation. We'll see this kinship in a, in a few verses here with, with Paul and Onesimus. But just thinking through your own salvation, who do you have to thank for their obedience to Christ? Don't miss this. It was completely the work of Christ that has saved you. However, God uses instruments such as sinful people like me and like you to be used by him to proclaim the message of salvation. Although nothing is owed to Paul by Philemon, there's most likely some fatherly kinship that is there between them. Are you being obedient? God calls us to many things throughout Scripture. The first, though, being calling us to himself. From there, he calls us to make disciples. Are you making disciples? Are you pointing others to Christ. We have a website that uh, lists some easy opportunities for you to get involved with many of the evangelism opportunities uh, that others right now are doing in the life of Stone Oak Bible. You can go to stoneoakbible.com slash scatter uh, to see all of these different opportunities and, and get involved. We would love for you to be faithful in what God has called you to do. Again, uh, Paul is, is choosing here not to command, but he says in verse 9 that for Love's sake, he will appeal 
Paul can sometimes be read in scripture as a very, very tough and very brash man. He seems to be very bold in his language at times. The book of Philemon shows us the character of Paul, though, in a more complete manner. If you remember back to last week, Paul chooses to not use his typical title of apostle when introducing himself, but he instead calls himself a prisoner. He restates this again in verse 9. Paul places humility on himself instead of authority and power. The light should be going off in your heads right now. This is exactly what our Savior has done. If you look at Philippians chapter 2, it says this. Indeed, let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Though he was by nature God, he did not consider equality with God as a prize to be displayed. But he emptied himself by taking the nature of a servant. When he was born in human likeness, and his appearance was like that of any other man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ came to earth and was born in a lowly stable to parents without much authority or worldly adoration. He lived his life in a very humble manner. At any moment, Christ could have displayed his full deity and done any number of immeasurable aspects, yet he chose not to. He chose to serve and not to be served, as Mark 10, 45 says. So here's our Savior, the one who is God and has ultimate power. How does he respond to others? He does so out of generosity. And he does so out of love. He doesn't choose to lead out of his power and his might and his authority, but he chooses to lead out of his humility. Let that be an example for each of us today. Although we might have authority and we have earned our respect, lead out of your humility. Appeal for love's sake first. Scripture is very clear regarding the interactions of one another. If you look at Ephesians chapter 5, we see God's design for the marriage relationship. We often focus only in this section on the submission of the wife. It's a poor reading of Scripture. There is a lot more to say to the husband within that text. Ephesians 5, 25 through 30 says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. What did Christ do for the church? He gave himself up for her. What should husbands do for their wives? Give themselves up for her. How much easier is it to follow the authority of someone that you know loves you more than they love themselves and is willing to give of themselves completely? How much easier is it to lead through love? Here at Stonewall Bible Church, we have elders that we have, uh, as a body, placed ourselves under as our authority. When we 
distinguish here between elders and deacons. We choose to use this language. We call our deacons our lead servants and our elders our servant leaders. So deacons we call lead servants and elders servant leaders. I have the privilege of being part of the elders of this church. And I can say with complete confidence that the men that I have the joy of serving with love this body and they desire to lead this body with love and with humility. Let's continue in our, our letter to Philemon. So Paul now makes his appeal here. He begins by introducing us for the first time to uh, this character, Onesimus. This is Philemon's runaway slave. Paul has met him while he has been imprisoned, and he has grown quite attached to Onesimus, so much so that he calls him his son. And in verse 12, he calls him his very heart. I understand what Paul is referring to here. He's invested in the life of Onesimus, and he has a general care and a general love for him. As a pastor of this church, it is one of my greatest joys, and one of the greatest things that I get to do is just to observe and be a part of the many wonderful things that this body is doing. There are those times that I get to invest in someone, and I get to eventually see them fly and flourish. Right now, as a church body, we get to do exactly that. We have church planters in residence. We have Paul and his wife, Jolene Hody. Jolene is serving in children's ministry right now. They're a part of our congregation. Yet, next year, they'll be leaving us to start a new work. That day will be very bittersweet for us. We'll be sending out our very children. We'll be sending out our very heart to go out from us as Stone Oak, body, Stone Oak Bible. Multiplication within the church is always difficult. Yet it is so worth it. It's much more comfortable and easier if Paul and Jolene stay right here with us. However, that's selfish of us to hold on to them. We need to send out our best to go and to do something better. This includes everyone hearing my voice right now, both here in this auditorium as well as you online. Paul uses Onesimus' name here to even drive home this point. The name Onesimus means useful. Paul is pointing here in verse 11 towards Onesimus now fulfilling his very name for Philemon. I wouldn't call Paul and Jolene useless, but I would say that if they will be better utilized to reach people that we, as this body, would never be able to. Think about your own life. Are you holding on to something that could be used for or released for a greater purpose? Let me give you a tangible example. We as a church are looking to grow our community group ministries. In order to do that, to grow these ministries, we're looking for leaders for new groups. Are you one of those potential leaders for us? We would love for you to get into one of our current community groups and allow us to launch you out to potentially start a new one. How are you allowing God right now to use you? We see within scripture that God has uniquely gifted people for the purpose of his glory and for building up one another. Are you currently being used in that way? Possibly right now, the Holy Spirit is, is tugging at you. 
Are you feeling that pull to do something? I would love to grab you for coffee for lunch this week, next week, and just hear from you. Are you willing to give of yourself? I feel like many people are sitting on the sidelines waiting to hear someone to, to call your number to get into the game. First of all, I'm going to say you have the wrong perception of Christianity. You are not on the sidelines. You are already in the game. It might be time to stop picking the daisies and run the route that God has designed for you to run. That route is going to look different than my route, than others around you. But praise God, he has uniquely designed you different than he has uniquely designed me. God has a purpose for your life. Along with giving of yourself comes here investing in others. Paul here has invested in Philemon. And now we also see he has invested in Onesimus. Who are you investing in? I mentioned last week that I desired for everyone to be in a discipleship and a mentoring relationship. Between last week and this week, did anything change? Who are you investing in? Who is investing in you? Church, I call you to get into the game and be a part of what God desires for your life. Let's zoom out for a brief second and look at this letter as a whole. So Paul here is in prison. He's writing to Philemon, and Philemon has a former slave that has run away. That slave, we now know Onesimus, has met Paul. Paul has, uh, some form or fashion, discipled Onesimus and is now planning to send Onesimus back to Philemon. And Paul here asks Philemon to accept him back. First, let us hit the big grenade that this text has tossed. Slavery. Depending on your translation, this text will either include the word slave or bond servant in verse 16. As soon as we read this text, we read this verse with a modern lens. We read it with the lens of 18th and 19th century slavery within the United States and globally of the African-American slave trade. Let me say this and be very clear. Slavery is terrible, okay? Let me be very clear. Slavery is terrible. It shows the human's heart towards selfishness at all costs, including on the back of another. The United States has a history of slavery. This is a discussion that has not ended whenever the Emancipation Proclamation of 1863 was signed by President Lincoln. It's a discussion that is still occurring today, and rightfully so. The discussion has morphed and it has changed throughout the years, but these discussions are still occurring. If you follow the news the past year, two years, or even just this past month, You've seen this discussion continuing even now. I believe that the church, as well as individual Christians, should have an understanding of slavery, of 18th, 19th century slavery. And we should have a voice in the issues that are being discussed today. However, the slavery that Paul, that Onesimus, and that Philemon are familiar with in this text is different than the slavery that we typically understand and think of. The Lexham Bible Dictionary says this, the practice of one person owning another as property 
or one person owing a debt to another and repaying that debt via their labor. Found in the ancient Near East, the Greco-Roman world, and the Old and New Testaments, no single description of slavery fits the various forms it took in the ancient world. However, it was quite different from the slavery practice in the West during the 18th and 19th century. This is coming from the Lexham Bible Dictionary. It's just simply a dictionary that is uh, geared around biblical words. Slavery in the New Testament looked very different than our views of slavery today. Many people in the time of the New Testament would have fallen under the title of bond servant. Even some positions, such as doctors and even lawyers, could have been bond servants. Slavery, or bond servanthood, varied so much that it's difficult for us to clearly define what was a bond servant. Some individuals were treated as family members, and they were allowed to marry, they were allowed to own possessions, they were allowed to go about their normal lives. It would be similar to having a modern-day job. Many of us could be underneath the title, then, of a bond servant. One of the gentlemen this morning, as we were doing setup, said that we are all slaves. He said, if you don't believe me, he said, call your boss tomorrow and tell him you won't be in for the next month. See how they respond. We are slaves to um, our bosses many times. Others, however, in a context of bond servanthood, were severely mistreated. They were abused and they were treated horribly. We're unsure of the relationship of Philemon and Onesimus regarding how Philemon treated Onesimus. However, we can make some assumptions based upon Paul has introduced us to Philemon. Paul presents Philemon in those first few verses as a rather great guy. Paul's heard of Philemon's love and of his faith towards others. And he also mentions that the heart of hearts of others have been refreshed through Philemon. Also look at how Paul hopes Onesimus will be accepted back to Philemon. He hopes that Philemon will, be, will accept him back as a beloved brother in verse 16. Last week, I began our time together by talking about painting. Oftentimes, we set out to paint these beautiful portraits, and we end up with something very different. This is how relationships can often work. I know that when I stood at the front of the church um, almost 13 years ago now and pledged my love for my wife on our wedding day, I was not thinking about all of the, the struggles that we would endure as a married couple at that time. It turns out marriage is actually really hard. Surprise, it was, it's very difficult and challenging at times. Who would have ever thought that living with me would be so hard? <laughs> when, when relationships sour, there's hurt. How do we respond to those hurts that others have done to us and that we therefore have also done to them? And for our text, how should Philemon respond to Onesimus, the slave that has run away and possibly even stolen from Philemon? For love's sake, I appeal to you. Paul desires Philemon here to accept Onesimus back as a brother. What would your reaction be? For many of us, that sounds so wrong. Where is the justice? 
Where is Onesimus getting what he deserves? Is that where your brain immediately goes when you hear of a horrible act of another human being? Do you just have that instant desire for justice to be upheld? Before we jump to justice, let us be reminded of our own injustice. Praise God that he has not treated us in the way that we so desire others to be treated. Jesus tells a story in Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 21. He says, Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. We read that story and we think that would never be us. Yet, I think oftentimes we are so very similar. What has Christ forgiven you of? Don't overlook the log in your own eye. You and I are sinners deserving of death. We were born into sin. We continue to sin. We know that our sin deserves punishment, and that punishment is death. Our sin has been punished. It has been paid for by Jesus Christ. He took my sin and your sin, and he didn't merely forgive it and wipe it away. He paid the cost. He paid that cost with his own flesh. This is the grace and the mercy that God has given to us. Look what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 has to say. It says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For your sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We have been reconciled to God. And now, as this text says, we have the ministry of reconciliation. Brothers and sisters, who do you need to reconcile with? I'm assuming none of you in this room have a bond servant being returned to you. However, there are most likely people in your life that have wronged you. Have you held on to that forgiveness and not offered it to them? Is there someone in your own life today that you are needing to make things right with? What is stopping you from displaying the forgiveness that Christ has offered to you? They probably aren't deserving of your forgiveness, right? Let me again remind you, remind me of our lack. We didn't deserve the Son of Man to hang upon the cross in our place. Yet, he willingly paid our debt so that we can be reconciled to the Father. Church, let us demonstrate the love of Christ through our love for one another. This book of Philemon is both familiar and foreign. We enter into it in a culture that is different than ours, and our discussions regarding forgiveness are different here than, than what Paul is calling upon Philemon to do. However, our conversations of forgiveness are so needed. Our world is broken because it's full of people like me and like you who are broken. We're unable to understand forgiveness in its entirety unless we understand how Christ has first forgiven us. Forgiveness is difficult. I'm not making light of that fact at all. It also might not come immediately. If you have that person in your mind right now, that keeps popping up regarding our discussions on forgiveness, but you're not yet ready to walk down that road. I'm going to make a request that you do a few, few things for me. First, pray. I'm going to ask that you pray that God would soften both your heart and the other party. Pray that God would open your own eyes to the forgiveness that has been granted to you. Pray that God would show his sovereignty, even in the mess, to you. Next, I'm going to ask that you don't walk alone. There are many great reasons that Paul includes to write this letter, not only to Philemon, but also to the church that's meeting at his house. One, I believe, is for accountability, but the other, I believe, is for support. Whatever you're struggling with today, let the community of God that he has established around you be a part of your own story of forgiveness. It's very difficult, I understand, to let others truly know us. I implore you, I do not command you, but I ask that you let others know your own struggles. Let them know your hurts. Let them know how others have wronged you. Church, the, the book of Philemon was written such a long time ago, but I pray today that the Holy Spirit has illuminated this text 
to speak to your hearts as he has done to mine. Be more than a hearer of this word, this morning of the word, but go and do. Thank you.